Hi, I'm Nancy Mullane, executive producer of Life of the Law here with... Hey listeners, this is Tony Gannon, senior producer here at Life of the Law. And we are announcing our upcoming live law storytelling event in San Francisco on Friday night, February 23rd. That's only about two weeks away. We have put this night of storytelling together with Marcus Thompson of The Athletic. Local artist Saran Norris. Fantastic Negrito from Oakland. Fellow podcaster Kathy Too. Riddy Shaw, writer for HuffPost and Medium. And Troy Williams, founder of San Quentin Prison Report. And we're going to have a surprise guest. That's Friday night, February 23rd, here in San Francisco at the Russian Center. You can buy the tickets online at Eventbrite. Go to Live Law, initial public offering, $30. All proceeds are going to support the stories like the one you're just about to hear. If you guys care about what we do, what kinds of stories we tell, come on out and support us. Uh, we would love it if you stayed for a drink. There will be an extensive bar that will be donation-based. Pay what you want. So it is a party. Come and have a good time. It's Friday night, February 23rd, $30. Buy your tickets online. You can buy them at lifeofthelaw.org. See you there. Mr. Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. I told my mother that I was going to live in town since the rebels are still there and they may come back and if they find me, they will kill me and she will not be able to care for my children. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane, executive producer, and today we're presenting part three of our series, Uganda, about the thousands of children who were abducted and held captive by the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda. Throughout the series, we followed the lives of two children over the course of 30 years, from the mid-80s until today. From their abductions as children in part one, their escapes in part two, and in episode three, their struggles to return to their families and communities and to find some kind of justice for what they and the thousands of other children endured. Our series is reported by Gladys Aroma from Gulu, Uganda. Now part three, Justice. By 2006, tens of thousands of children who had been abducted and held captive by rebels with the Lord's Resistance Army had either escaped or were captured by the Ugandan government soldiers. Many were killed in an attempt to escape or in battle with government forces. Those who survived, young women who were abducted as girls and had children from forced marriages in captivity, and young men who were abducted as boys and had been forced to fight in the LRA. They were trying to find their way back home. Akelo Imachlet is a senior psychiatric nurse at the Gulu Regional Hospital Mental Health Unit. She worked closely with people abducted by the LRA. When things you do not expect to see at your age, things you even never thought you would, you would hear, you don't expect to have done it. So it becomes a problem in development mentally and psychologically. Akelo says she witnessed the impact of the LRA's violence on children who are now adults, who are trying to find their way back home. After spending weeks or months in one of the four rehabilitation centers in northern Uganda for young people returning from captivity in the LRA, 
The returnees and their young children were handed over to their parents or relatives who survived the conflict. They were to begin life anew back in their villages and communities, places where they had been abducted from so many years before. And in some cases, the same communities where the LRA had forced them to kill relatives or people they knew. Much as I would rarely interact with people in the community or quarrel with anyone. In the community, I started experiencing a difficult life. I would not insult or quarrel with anyone or move anywhere. Beatrice was abducted from her uncle's home when she was 15. By the time she finally escaped from the LRA, she was 22 years old with two children, born from her first marriage to a senior LRA commander. People in the neighborhood started abusing my children whenever they would go to play with their children, that the children of coin have evil spirits. People in the community were unsettled about the time she spent as a captive wife of the LRA commander and could not accept her children who were born out of wedlock in the LRA. Beatrice says that made living back in her family home with her mother especially difficult for her children. They used to beat my children and their mothers would tell them not to play with my children because their mother gave birth to them while in captivity. The children would come back home crying and I would join and begin crying. What made coming home to her closely knit extended family and community especially painful, Petra says was people she had known as a child would not talk directly to her about her time in LRA captivity or about the two children she gave birth to. They would not directly confront or stigmatize me, but they would begin stigmatizing after I have left. People, Beatrice says she knew as a child, accused her and her children of being demon-possessed. My mother was called Ellen. They would say, have you seen the daughter of Ellen? She returned from captivity. People like her have evil spirit. If you're not careful, she will one day cut you with a machete. Even her children are useless. They possess the same evil spirit and even the kids might pick something and hit you with. When Beatrice first returned home to live with her mother, the rehabilitation center gave her provisions to help her care for herself and her children. Then she ran out of money and food. With no job skills and no money, Beatrice began doing petty work to earn a living. When I stay there, I realized that if I continue sitting, then I will not be able to get food for my children or buy soap. I started buying sugar cane and I would bring it to town to sell. I would use the money to buy food and go back home. It was her determination to provide the basic needs for her family and her children that improved her relationship with her mother and gained her some acceptance in the family. She had already told me that she would not keep children whose clan is not known. I could not take those children anywhere since I did not know the home of their father. When I started doing petty trade, my mother began living with me well, and my friends advised me that if I want to enjoy easy life, I should live alone in my home. But eventually, even earning money from petty work and taking care of her family wasn't enough to stop the community from stigmatizing Beatrice and her children. 
It reached a point when the local councillor of the area saw that the stigmatization was getting out of hand. A local councillor in Beatrice village was forced to hold a meeting. He called a meeting with the community and talked to them. I was not around. I had come to town to sell sugarcane. The councillor promised to take legal action against anyone condemning Beatrice or her children. He told them I did not wish to join the rebels and that the rebels came and abducted me from home. He said, if it happened to the people in the community, how would they feel? The local councillor then spoke to Beatrice's mother. He warned my mother. He said that he heard that my mother also insults me. That means if you, the mother, insult her, that means you, the mother, are the first person to brand her. That is why the community is branding her. When the local councillor warned them, the community changed their attitude towards me and stopped stigmatizing me. But just five months after she returned home, Beatrice says her mother asked her to leave. When my mother saw that I was causing her pain every time she would see me crying, she asked me to leave her home and run somewhere else because I was causing for her a lot of problems. I told her, there is no problem. I will look for a house to rent once I got some money. I told her, whatever happened to me was not my wish. When I told her, she started crying. She was heartbroken. Then she told me not to leave or go anywhere and advised me not to allow my children to be crying and that I should stop crying. Petra says insults by her mother obligated her to leave her mother and the village she was born and raised in to begin life afresh. Like many women returning from LRA captivity with children, Beatrice began to look for a way to move to a more urban place where no one knew her history with the LRA, a place where she and her children could live in peace and where she could make a living. When I saved some little money, I started looking for a house to rent. I bought two saucepans to begin my life with. Beatrice moved with her children to a new home in Gulu town, a small city five miles from her village. I told my mother that I was going to live in town since the rebels are still there and they may come back and if they find me, they will kill me and she will not be able to care for my children. She told me, my child, if those are your thoughts, then it's fine. You can leave. And that is how I left my mother to begin my life alone. She did not realize that I left her home in agony. Today, Beatrice is living in the suburbs of Gulu town, where people don't know about her past history of abduction and, and captivity with the LRA is a relief. If I did not reveal that I was formally abducted, nobody will know. If I did not tell that these children were born from captivity, nobody will know. I used to continue with my small business. I used to leave my children to play with their playmates. I would always ask my neighbors to check the food on fire, and I would return and find that the food was ready. I was not treated well. First, all the eight bars of shop given to me from World Vision were removed and I remain with only one. 
Samuel Akena was abducted at the age of 11 and was held captive by the LRA for four years. At the age of 15, he escaped from the LRA. After spending one week at a rehabilitation center, Akena was given a few basic need items and he returned to his village to live with his parents and step-siblings. I saw a difference between me and my siblings. At times, my stepmother and siblings would tell me to do something, and if I refused, then they would say that it is the evil spirit I came with from the bush disturbing me. Once they tell me like that, I keep quiet because I know I have nothing disturbing me. When Samuel returned home to live with his parents, they performed a cleansing ceremony, a traditional ceremony by the Acholi people of northern Uganda to welcome a long-lost relative of one who was believed to have died. As part of the ceremony, Samuel was required to step on a raw egg before entering his homestead to chase away any bad omens. If I don't tell you that I was abducted, you will not know because most people who returned were violent and would threaten to kill when they quarrel. But me, I did not do that. It is why my neighbors were not treating me badly. They thought I was living with my mother. Many people knew the day I returned because I stepped on an egg to clean. Returning men and women also had the options of completing their education or learning vocational skills. Though they received life skills training like bricklaying, tailoring and carpentry, many are challenged to apply their skills they have learned due to ill health or injuries sustained in captivity. The majority of returning women were trained as tailors, but in a market now saturated with women and men skilled in tailoring and in an area of a country where most people buy second-hand clothes, there isn't a market to utilize their skills. Okello Phoebe is a retired teacher and parent of a formerly abducted girl. She's also one of the founders of the Concerned Parents Association. For the men, it's very easy. Because for the men, when they came, they were trained on how to repair a bicycle or somewhere even taken back to school. You know, what women want is money. If a man can support you, what next? Money is a concern for many returnees. As part of the amnesty offered to returnees willing to admit they had fought for the LRA and were sorry for their participation, some received a package, which included the equivalent of approximately 150 US dollars in cash and goods. Unlike Samuel who returned without a child, young women like Beatrice who were sexually violated in captivity and who returned with children fathered by LRA commanders are a constant reminder to their community of LRA violence. Before children were abducted, strong cultural traditions guided marriages and children's ties to the community. When women returned from captivity with children from forced marriages with the LRA, there were problems. The children born in LRA captivity had no history in the community and in most cases could not trust the family of the LRA fathers. But many of the children who returned from captivity as young adults and their children born in captivity faced more than contamination and isolation. Returnees and their children often have to engage in wrangles and competition with relatives and siblings over access to family, farmland and property. After the war came to an end, there were a number of challenges. Epode Florence is a senior programs officer at FIDA Uganda, an association of women lawyers in Uganda. 
For women returning from captivity with a child born to an LRA commander is an extreme challenge. For a future husband to take on another man's child born in LRA captivity creates insecurity and competition among his own male children. So the women who came back are being discriminated against with the, the children they came with from the north. Some of them are being chased from the land. Within Northern Uganda's traditional patriarchal society, for many, the act of suffering sexual violence makes a woman like Beatrice appear unclean in the eyes of their own community and thus are not regarded as suitable marriage partners. They are also viewed as possessed with evil spirits while they were in LRA captivity, which they believe will pollute their potential marital lineage. And the children born from forced marriages to LRA commanders made it difficult for women like Beatrice to find new marriage partners. It is because of that children they came with. That is why they cannot marry. Isolated and condemned, and without money to care for the children they gave birth to in captivity, some returning women remained with the LRA commanders they were forced to marry in captivity. But not all. Fred Ngomukwe is head of the Refugee Law Project Office in Gulu. For those who came together, because of what happened to them while in captivity, they feel they cannot stay in the same house and they have left their husbands. In addition, the Ugandan military absorbed some of the LRA's highest ranking commanders and soldiers into their ranks, offering them salaries and pensions as part of the amnesty package. But Ngomukwe says still many former captive wives opted out of continuing in a forced marriage. They've accepted to live the very simple but quite difficult to handle life. And they're taking care of the children. The relationship between men and women who turned from who came back from captivity is not so nice. But for some who had been abducted, shared time in the bush also brought a few remaining women and men together. Ngomukwe says some returnees who are not married in captivity are married today. Few who built a very good relationship while in the bush have decided to go back and they have formed good families. They are living happily because of the life that can be traced way back while in the bush. Others might have been saved by these people or by that very person who is now the husband. Others might have been kept like more of a sister to him and at some point they developed that intimacy and they got together. Okello says they began working directly with family members and people in the community to take more care for the returnees. So we were teaching the, the, the parents. We were in fact uh, organizing workshops where we would really train the parents to be our ambassador to the community. That they should tell the community that those children have to be handled with care. It 
It has now been nearly 25 years since Joseph Kony and the LRA rebels began killing and abducting people and children from northern Uganda. For all the violence, sexual assaults and murders committed against tens of thousands of people by the LRA combatants, today only two former LRA commanders of an estimated 17 are in court and charged for their crimes. Many former commanders have died, some at the direction of the LRA leader Joseph Kony. One of those on trial is Thomas Koyelo, one of the LRA's mid-level commanders. Captured in 2009, his case is before the International Crimes Division of Uganda's High Court in Gulu in northern Uganda. The High Court was created in 2008, more than a decade into the crisis, to try people charged with international war crimes and crimes against humanity, terrorism, human trafficking, genocide and piracy. Koyela is charged with committing a list of crimes so long, it reportedly took two hours to read the list in court. But Koyela's trial in Ugandan court is controversial. Some in Uganda believe Koyela, who was abducted in 1996 by the LRA rebels at the age of 10 and forced to fight as a LRA combatant, qualifies for amnesty. Koyelo has applied to Uganda's Amnesty Commission for the same amnesty granted to even senior LRA commanders. But today, more than eight years since his trial began, Koyelo remains in custody and on trial in Uganda's International Court. The second LRA commander facing trial is Dominic Ongweng, the reported head of one of the rebels' four brigades and in charge of military operations. Ongwen fled from the LRA in 2014 and was handed over to the U.S. Army before he was transferred first to the Ugandan military and finally to the International Criminal Court in The Hague where he is on trial for committing crimes and crimes against humanity. He's been on the run for almost a decade. In the early hours of this morning, Dominic Ongwen was taxied towards justice. After being captured and conscripted by the Lord's Resistance Army as a child, Dominic Ongwen quickly rose through the rebel ranks. He's accused of murdering, torturing and enslaving civilians. Ongwen is being tried at the ICC because unlike the United States, Uganda is one of the 120 states to adopt that status of the International Criminal Court, which was established to prosecute perpetrators of the most serious crimes committed in member territories or by their nationals. The ICC is not seen as a substitute for a national court, but can intervene when a member state is unable or unwilling to carry out an investigation or prosecute perpetrators of international crimes or crimes against humanity. In December 2003, more than a decade after the LRA began the killings and the abductions, Uganda's President Museveni referred the crisis of the Lord's Resistance Army to the International Criminal Court for Investigation and Prosecution. The ICC began its investigations, and in 2005, the ICC issued arrest warrants for five of the LRA's top commanders. Of the five, three commanders, Okot Odiambo, Rascal Lukuya, and Oti Vicente have all died. You may remember Okot Odiambo, the LRA commander who raped Beatrice and forced her to become one of his captive wives. Joseph Kony, the leader of the LRA, is still at large and leading a small number of rebel soldiers in the Central African Republic. That leaves just Dominic Ongwen to first trial in The Hague. All rise, vive le vie. In 2016, the International Criminal Court trial on Dominic Ongwen began. 
the International Criminal Court is now in session. L'audience de la Cour Penal Internationale est ouverte. Good morning. Yes, Mr. President. Situation in Uganda. In the case of the prosecutor versus Dominique Ongwen. Ongwen is facing 70 charges of war crimes and crimes against humanity, as well as sexual and gender-based violence committed either directly by him or under his command in the LRA. Originally, the prosecutor um, at the ICC charged Dominique Ongwen with uh, a range of crimes against humanity and war crimes, including murder, pillaging and enslavement. Benny is the head of the post-conflict justice program with the UK charity Redress. At that time, the prosecutor had not included any sexual violence crimes um, in, the, in the indictment. But later on, um, after the arrest of Dominic Ongwen and upon pressure by the civil society organizations, these charges were amended and um, extended to include sexual violence charges such as rape, sexual slavery and forced marriage. Dominic's trial at the ICC has drawn mixed feelings from his victims and from people in the region where he committed the atrocities. Like many of his victims, Dominic Ongwen was captured at the age of 10 while he was on his way to school. After he was taken to the LRA's military base, he was forced to witness violence and commit crimes by the LRA leader Joseph Kony. Benny Yee says this makes the ICC prosecution of Ongwen difficult. Dominic Ongwen was abducted himself as a child, uh, which makes the prosecution um, a bit tricky from the point of view of Ugandans um, from the same region. Um, however, he can be prosecuted for the crimes that he committed after he turned 18, because that is the age when people can be held criminally liable for their acts, and no matter what had happened to them in their childhood. The, the fact that he was abducted as a child could play a significant role um, in his sentencing, so in deciding how many years or how uh, severe his punishment will be. Still, many in Uganda and in the international community aren't satisfied that enough is being done to seek justice for the decades of violence. They believe Ugandan government officials and soldiers with the Ugandan People's Defense Forces should also be held accountable by law for failing to protect the people of northern Uganda from the LRA. Ugandan soldiers have also been accused of committing sexual assaults and murders during the conflict with the LRA. Non-government organizations or NGOs have called on the International Criminal Court in The Hague to investigate charges against the Ugandan military. I think the government should also be tried. It is this same government which forces us into the difficult life we are in. Beatrice Ochoe and other victims of the LRA violence say the Ugandan government should be held accountable for committing criminal acts and for failing to protect Ugandan citizens. We are suffering because of them. As a government, you know rebels are fighting, and the rebels come and abduct your people when you are sleeping nearby. It's time, Bitre says, the Ugandan government compensated her and other returnees for the years they spent in captivity. No, take it we They knew all what was happening to the people. This government should be tried and made to compensate people. I have seen a trend that shows that criminal prosecution of the perpetrators actually 
tends to rank lower than the sense of having some form of life-changing benefits and perceive that as a form of justice rather than having prosecution and punishment of the perpetrators. As head of the post-conflict justice program with the UK charity Redress, Benny says for many victims, receiving benefits that could change their lives is more important than criminal prosecution of commanders in the LRA. Reparation in the sense of receiving something with which you can restore your life and rebuild your life after the atrocities that, that you have suffered is often seen as more important um, than prosecution, especially where the victim's situation is still dire and victims are still living in extreme poverty um, and still struggling with the psychological and, and physical consequences of the violence. Many of the formerly abducted children, now adults, are trying to rebuild their lives. Some continued their education, have graduated, are now working or trying to find work. Others are a living in petty trade or farming. Many returnees, especially women, continue to fight against the stigma attached to women who endured forced marriages in LRA captivity. While some are married to former returnees, others face the long-term problem of finding a marriage partner. This is a critical social problem for a society where marriage earns a person respect and access to key resources such as land, economic security, and protection. Many former captive wives have left the communities where they grew up and have relocated to areas where no one knows their stories. What have we learned from the LRA's violence and the long-term impacts on the people who were years ago abducted and held captive? I think firstly, the, the role of the international community of res to, in responding to a crisis um, is prevention. And to prevent this from happening again, Benny Yi says the international community should be on alert to the early signs of such a conflict. In many countries and in many regions, there are early warning signs of escalation of violence, of potential ethnic cleansing, of potential ethnic clashes, or extreme oppression by governments. So I think at the, the very onset, the international community has to take these kind of warnings seriously and intervene in, form, in, in the form of medi mediation, in the form of sanctions already at that point to avert this kind of violence from breaking out. And in case of a violence that is already occurring, Benny charges the international community to use their influence to pressure both sides of a conflict to end the violence. When already violence is ongoing, I definitely think an immediate reaction in the form of bilateral pressure on either, you know, both sides of the conflict, in including setting up monitoring mechanisms from the very early onset of the situation to make sure that the violence is documented. Although the LRA rebels left northern Uganda more than a decade ago, they no longer pose a direct threat to the communities where Beatrice Ochwe and Akena Samuel live. 
LRA rebels continue to terrify people throughout the region, looting, abducting and killing in neighboring countries such as the Central African Republic and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Still there is fear in northern Uganda that until the underlying causes of the conflict have been addressed, the extreme poverty, unemployment and the failure of the victims to realize compensation and justice, the Lord's Resistance Army or some other rebellion could happen again. Among the Acholi people, one of the several indigenous tribes in northern Uganda that suffered the most during the crisis in Uganda, there is a local justice system known as Mato Oput. It allows compensation between the perpetrators and the victims. The formal justice mechanism is kind of uh, uh, retributive in nature, while local justice mechanisms look at uh, reconciliation at whatever circumstance occurred. How are we going to ensure coexistence after formal justice. Isaac Okwe is head of Justice and Reconciliation Project in Northern Uganda. Isaac says he has faith the local justice system will help to reconcile his people in the north. For the case of Dominic Omoyan, he's going to be found guilty or not. At the end of the day, we have people behind Dominic Omoyan or against Dominic Omoyan who are here at home. How are we going to ensure that these two parties who are here continue to live together, whether Dominic Ongwen is found guilty or not? If he is found not guilty, how are we going to receive him back in the community? It is the local justice mechanism that will ensure it prepares people to receive Dominic Ongwen and live with him again. Today, Samuel operates a small shop in a village about eight kilometers outside Gulu town. He lives peacefully with his wife and child. Beatrice lives with her children about two kilometers away from Gulu town. She works for a church organization where she sells bags that are exported by the church. From the little money she makes, she is trying to care for and provide an education for the children she bore with Okot Odiambo, the LRA commander, and the children she has had since she returned from captivity. Beatrice says looking back and forward, justice means holding accountable not only those who committed the violence, but those who watched and didn't do anything to protect her. This government should compensate us who were abducted, like me. I was abducted when the government soldiers were on the other side of the road. They should have done anything to save me. So the government needs to compensate me. If they don't do it, I will not be happy. I find that this government ruined my life more than the rebels. For Life of the Law, I'm Gladys Oroma in Gulu, Uganda. Justice, part three of our series, Uganda, was reported by Gladys Aroma from Gulu, Uganda. This series was produced in partnership with Annie Bunting from York University in Toronto, Teddy Yatim, researcher in Kampala, Uganda, and Life of the Law's senior producer, Tony Gannon. We have production support from Ian Koss. Special thanks to Daphne Keeval Herald for her editing and fact-checking. Translation narrators were David Akima and Emma Okanakoti. We had assistance from reporter Rosebel Kagumiri in Gulu, Uganda. Our post-production editor is Rachel Kane.
Our series is funded by the Conjugal Slavery and War Partnership Social Science and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the National Science Foundation, the Law and Society Association, and by you, our listeners. This series has been more than a year in production, and we thank you for your donations to help cover the costs of this independent international project. Please visit our website, lifeofthelaw.org, and make a donation today to support this series. And while you're on our website, subscribe to our newsletter with behind-the-scenes notes from Annie Bunting and Gladys Aroma. Join us in two weeks for Part 4 of Uganda, when our team of journalists and scholars meet up in studios around the world to discuss the series. That's next on Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening. Kudo